You're listening to the voice of the Caribbean radio, your source for news, sports, and entertainment in the Caribbean. Welcome to this, another edition of Let's Talk St. Kitts Nevis here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. We apologize for the late start. We've been having some technical challenges, but we are here and ready to roll. If you've been following us on our Facebook page, you know that the topic today will be a discussion on investigative journalism in the Caribbean. There's a new organization that was recently launched, the Caribbean Investigative Journalism Network. We'll be speaking with one of the with the co-founder, or one of the co-founders, um, in uh, Kiran Maharaj. Uh, she'll be joining us live from Trinidad and Tobago here on Let's Talk St. Kitts Nevis. But before that, we'll take a break and be right back, and then they will have our guest on the other side of the break. This is VOC Radio, the voice of the Caribbean. Building can be an exciting time, but also a long, frustrating, and bumpy road. You don't have to travel it alone. Let Magico take some of your stress away and ensure that your dreams aren't shattered by a disaster before construction is completed. With the Magico Contractors All-Risk Policy, your building materials and the contractor's equipment is covered from theft, natural disasters, and fire. You will also have protection in the unfortunate event of an accident on site. So, before you get your development on the way, check with your builder and ensure they have contractors all risk coverage from Nagico. Don't wait. Make your dreams a reality. Nagico Insurances. Fast, fair, and always there. Come to TalkCell on the Pondville Road in Phillipsburg for the finest brands in cell phones and consumer electronics. Get smartphones, Bluetooth speakers, PS4 and Xbox, smart TVs, audio equipment, and just about everything in electronics. At TalkCell, you get the best prices in St. Martin for smart TVs. The prices are affordable and the quality is superb. So, whenever you come to St. Martin, stop by TalkCell on the Pondville Road in Phillipsburg. Call us at 721-542-1784. Talk Cell. Quality Diagnostic Laboratory, your newest partner in your health care. We offer the latest in on-island clinical laboratory testing. A comprehensive range of blood tests, urine tests, stool and other testing such as cholesterol and sugar testing, as well as hormone, kidney and liver functions and many more. Quality Diagnostic Laboratory is located at the corner of Kayon Street and Fines Avenue, opposite the Greenlands Pasture. Our opening hours from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday are designed with you in mind. We are also open on Saturdays, 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. for your further convenience. Call or contact us at 465-6657 or email us at info at qualitydiagnosticlab.com. Quality Diagnostic Laboratory. Excellence in performance. This Christmas season, shop at Classic Electronics in St. Martin. At Classic Electronics, you get the best in electronics from small appliances to the latest and best in smartphones, audio equipment, household appliances like refrigerators, washing machines, stoves, and the best brands in smart TVs. Classic Electronics also sells jewelry, watches, headphones, Bluetooth speakers, tablets, and so much more. So board the shopping ferry trips from Bastyr St. Kitts and make sure to stop at Classic Electronics on Back Street St. Martin. Call 721-523-3889 for the best in quality and prices. Come to Classic Electronics in St. Martin. 
feeling hungry and want something quick to eat? Then come to Quick Bites Bar and Restaurant located on College Street, Bastyr. At Quick Bites, we offer the best in hamburgers, fries, chicken, chicken nuggets, fish burgers, hot dogs, bacon dogs, egg sandwiches, salads, and much more. Visit or call us at 465-5308 or call 663-3107 to place your order. Quick Bites on College Street. Comfort your taste buds with a quick bite. SKNFA Premier League football is back. SK Newsline and Voice of the Caribbean Radio present the Premier League Match of the Week. Live video stream and radio commentary on St. Kitsinevis's premier online media networks. Every Saturday at 8 p.m., watch live football action at the Warner Park Football Stadium on the SK Newsline Facebook page, www.sknewsline.com, and at the Facebook page of the St. Kitsinevis Football Association. You can also listen to live radio commentary at www.voiceofthecaribbean.net. It's the Premier League Match of the Week on SK Newsline and Voice of the Caribbean Radio every Saturday at 8 p.m. Don't miss it. We at Multigraphics are dedicated to providing quality products and service to our customers. Our team takes pride in the craftsmanship and is passionate about its work. Every job, large or small, is important. Most of our customers come to us through referrals. That's because our number one priority is service. We serve a wide variety of customers, such as restaurants, retail stores, manufacturers, trucking companies, and many more. Our capabilities include design, production, and installation. How can we help? We are located at Bird Rock at the Woods Wright Compound. Call us at 869-763-1511 or 784-491-7599. Multigraphics. the best sound in Caribbean radio. This is VOC Radio. This is VOC Radio. The Voice of the Caribbean. And we're back here on Let's Talk St. Kitts Nevis. Uh, just before the break, we told you that we'll be joining up with the co-founder of uh, the Caribbean Investigative Journalism, Investigative Journalist Network, um, which was recently launched. Um, it's a very interesting organization. We'll be certainly be delving into what it's all about and uh, what uh, we can expect from them in the not-too-distant future. We have on the line with us uh, Ms. Kiran Maharaj. She is the co-founder of uh, the CIJN. Uh, Kiran, good morning. Welcome to Let's Talk St. Kisnevis. Pleasure to have you. Good morning, Andre. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity and the opportunity to CIJN. A very special happy holiday season to you and to all of your listeners on Let's Talk St. Kisnevis. Yes. Well, first of all, tell us about CIJN. What is it really and how did it come about? What prompted the need for this organization? CIJN is a non-profit investigative news portal. We're digital, we're online at CIJN.org, Caribbean Investigative Journalism Network. Um, over the years, my colleagues and I in media um, 
we had formed back in 2012 informally the Media Institute of the Caribbean, which was geared towards training working journalists. Because, you know, the media landscape has been changing drastically because of the technology and because of the introduction of digital journalism and, and all of the um, impact it was having on traditional media. So we have no training facility in our region for um, journalists who are working. Our journalists could not get time to go away to study and come back because this is how you know journalists pay their bills is with their jobs so mic is headquartered in jamaica and was formally incorporated in 2015 and the purpose of it was really to train journalists with a slant on investigative reporting and what we found is that interacting with journalists from our region is that many of them wanted to do investigative reporting but there were many issues that they were confronted with, which um, caused them to not do what they would like to do. One is that investigative reporting you, brings with it um, a certain degree of courage that one has to have. And in small island nations like ours, I mean, St. Kitts is maybe a population of 50,000, but with small island nations, everybody knows everybody. So there was always a fear of victimization and with some stories, a fear of life and direct interaction with the journalists um, showed members of the MIC board and our trainers that, listen, there were important stories that needed to be told, but there was no platform for it. The other thing is that with our mainstream media um, entities, investigative journalism being an expensive aspect um it dissuades them from getting involved in it it takes a lot of time a lot of effort very often it's not just one journalist you need to have people who can serve as researchers help with data um, create paper trails and very often these kinds of stories don't take a week or two they take months sometimes um, because truth is very important. Credibility is very important. So many media houses also shy away from picking up investigative journalism due to the high cost. The other aspect of that is in talking to some media owners and managers, um, they felt that some investigative stories may put them into trouble because very often you may find that there are individuals names entities names and you don't know who the shareholders of the media houses are in some cases um they may not want to risk journalists they may not want to risk their media outfits because again there's that victimization issue will advertising be withheld and so on especially when it comes to investigative reports where government officials or governments themselves um, are held to light so for all of these reasons, um, the Media Institute of the Caribbean felt that if we had an investigative journalism platform where one, the journalists um, could remain anonymous, but obviously they would be subject to all of the editorial policies and their editors um, for each of the teams, their editors would ensure that there was accuracy and truth and would be able to cross-reference information with data gatherers and researchers, etc. 
that it would be something feasible. The other thing is that these journalists um, who come from several media houses throughout the region, they also get the opportunity to learn and develop by being part of the investigative teams. So they are able to take that knowledge and expertise back to their media entities. And so they act as a seed so that the investigative reporting in the newsrooms can flourish because they would have worked on these stories. Um, the other thing is that regionally, we found that we are afflicted with similar um, situations and that there were a lot of commonalities in terms of the issues that affected us. And, you know, one of the things that we could never understand is why is the Caribbean not um, pulling together more? Why are we still operating in silos? So we saw this as an attempt by the region to develop a platform for investigative reporting that could impact the world. Who's better prepared to tell our stories than us? You know, very often you see reports from external sources and news agencies and you wonder, well, I don't think they have that right. Is that really so? But here we are in the region. This gives us an opportunity to tell our stories our way. Um, the other aspect of this is that it is a non-profit news entity. And more and more non-profit news entities are springing up globally because of all um, the, the similarities. And I've just listed, you know, all of the reasons why investigative journalism is important. Um, and they've been springing up because at the end of the day, the funding coming from um, philanthropists and coming from foundations means that um, you're not going to be subject to the same kinds of terms and conditions as a regular advertiser. So it gives us a lot more um, freedom and leeway to tell the stories and say the things that we feel really need to be said. So I hope that that covered most of the reasons why. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it has been quite detailed, so we want to thank you for that. So let me, let me just get an also clearer understanding. So with the CIGN, you're basically offering that support to the media houses in the Caribbean that, for all the reasons you listed, having challenges and difficulty providing investigative journalistic pieces. So you, you sort of act as a buffer then, so to speak. You can provide the service. So is it a case where the media houses can glean stories from your website, or is it a case where they work they together? They can. Yes, and they, or they can also work together with you to get uh, certain stories investigated. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So I wouldn't say we're a buff. I would say we're filling a gap. Um, and our stories can be picked up by any of the media entities at no cost. We just ask that we be credited mm -hmm. and that our, our links be inserted if it's done digitally. Um, and yes, and the media houses who had journalists work on these projects, um, they, you know, they were aware from day one and they were very happy to have them involved. Mm -hmm. And what it does is that they see it as building capacity within their newsrooms also because investigative reporting is a very specialized area. So when these journalists get the training out of MIC and then they're able to implement and work as part of an investigative team um, with CIJN, there's a follow-through process. And, um, and that's what we're trying to build. 
Now, you would have launched the website just about two weeks ago. Um, there was a grand launch. Was this in Trinidad or Jamaica? I believe it was in Jamaica, the, correct? In Jamaica. We launched in Jamaica on December 5th. Mm -hmm. And that's because the parent company of CIJN Media Institute of the Caribbean is headquartered in Jamaica. Okay. Now, you since then, uh, on the website, there have been uh, a number of stories that have been published um, as part of your launch. Could you just give us an insight into some of these stories and, and you know, basically, it's sort of whetting the appetite of what we can expect from CIGN? Sure. So I can give you um, a little bit of each of the stories. Um, one of them is on the ISIS phenomenon in Trinidad. Many people don't know this, but Trinidad and Tobago actually has the highest per capita um, recruitment for ISIS in the Western Hemisphere, which is may, may sound hard to believe, but is true. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that story, which was done by a team that whose bylines they wanted to remain anonymous, um, you know, that actually shows the connections and how this whole phenomena developed. The other one is human trafficking, and we use Trinidad as a starting point. But what it shows is that with the Venezuelan immigrant um, crisis, um, we've had a lot of human trafficking develop out of that. So, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting slant because I think in the region, you know, that human trafficking exists, but it's multiplied when you have a migrant crisis as what happened in Venezuela. Then we have um, China in the Caribbean. The geopolitical landscape has changed, as you know, Andre, um, with the introduction of China and all of the projects in the region. But it explores really um, the influence of the Chinese in the region, but also the fact that we may be mortgaging our islands almost um, in the process of obtaining their support. And it's something that a lot of... Um, the business community regionally has been questioning because we feel that our governments are engaging in contracts and there is a lack of transparency. Then we have Petro-Carib, and we call it an orgy of corruption. I mm -hmm. mean, in your island, um, St. Kitts and Nevis were part of, of Petro-Carib, and you would know the level of indebtedness. It, it was really more a situation of free money mm -hmm. than, you know, than assistance. It was a delayed loan that many islands have not paid back, and it has actually also um, caused alternative forms of energy to be put on a back burner, mm -hmm. which you know many people feel is not the right thing, especially for the Caribbean region. So we look at what has happened with Petro-Carib, and we use Haiti as our starting point. So all of these stories are deep dives. They're all multimedia stories. We, we want to ensure that all of the reporting we do is multimedia, because that way newspapers can use it, TV stations can use the clips, radio stations can have audio, and we also have a podcast channel. So um, these stories will have follow-up over the next three to five weeks. And so we will be building on these as we go along, as well as introducing new stories. Some of the new stories we'll be introducing deal with climate resilience and climate justice. Also with um, gangs and gang activity in the region. And we have quite a few others that will be coming on. Now, you mentioned earlier that the CIGN is a non-profit organization. Um, how then, well, obviously you, you would have gotten funding. Is this something that is sustainable? Because I think in the long run, people would want to know, well, this is a good thing, but 
can it be sustained, especially if its model is a non-profit model? Yeah, I mean, I think it is sustainable. It means that the leadership of CIJN, um, which would be yours truly and two others, our work is cut out for us. Um, I think that once we get, you know, sufficient visits and views, um, you know, the audience traction with the website and with the podcast channel, then we know that we are getting somewhere. We also feel that um, this will impact some advocacy in, in some spheres because maybe a lot of things will be unearthed that um, the public does not know about and they will start to ask questions and I think once we have those kinds of benchmarks from our audience demographics and the fact that we have started the conversations in a positive way then I think it can be sustainable. Indeed. We have examples of sustainable nonprofits. Associated Press is a nonprofit. ProPublica is another large one that's a nonprofit. Um, and when you look at the North American market, especially in the U.S., there are several nonprofits who are making a lot of leeway. Indeed. You have to remember that the ideology for nonprofit um, news is that we are not, we're not capitalists. I say that. I say that with a smile on my face, um, but our our passion is really to get the truth out there. Indeed. If you just joined us, you're listening to Let's Talks in Kisnevis. We are speaking with uh, Kiran Maharaj. She's a co-founder of uh, the Caribbean, the recently launched Caribbean Investigative Journalist Network, uh, that is doing some good work. And she just indicated some of the stories that are being worked on. I mean, the Petrocariba story, for example, is certainly one that. Um, I know some journalists have been monitoring and have been doing stories on, but it's, it's always good to have uh, even deeper perspective and um, insights into, into some of these stories. So certainly we'll be looking at some of those stories, and I, I trust that the media houses in the Caribbean will, will take res um, advantage of this opportunity to have these stories promoted and published in their respective countries. Um, let me kind of segue a bit, uh, still on the issue of journalism in the Caribbean. You hear from time to time people sure. say, and sometimes, <laughs> interestingly enough, this comes from politicians a lot, there needs to be more investigative journalism, journalism in their respective countries or they don't have enough uh, investigative journalist, um, journalist work being done in their respective countries. You've just listed a number of challenges um, that are preventing or has been preventing media houses in the Caribbean from doing more investigative pieces. What do you think can be done, aside from what CIJN is doing, but what do you think can be done to sort of assist journalists and media workers in the Caribbean to uh, have the freedom to do more work, more investigative journalist work? So one, I think training is important, which is why Media Institute of the Caribbean was formed. So that's one aspect. The other big aspect for me is our Freedom of Information Act. So... Um, it's called Access um, to Information in Jamaica, ATI. And Jamaica, I think, has been a prime example of the effectiveness of ATI. Um, but again, you know, the Freedom of Information Act, the way it works in a lot of islands, and I can speak definitely for Trinidad and Tobago, is we make applications and the process gets delayed and delayed and delayed. I don't know what the example is in, in St. Kitts and Nevis. And I would like for you to, to tell me about well, the, the, that. Well, the mean... access to information is not yet. Well, it is. Um, it has been debated in Parliament, 
I believe it has already been sort of, well, it still needs another reading, I think, to, to be effectively passed. However, I believe some of the challenges you're mentioning there are still uh, some of the challenges that we'll have. Because I remember looking at one aspect of the act and discussing it with a lawyer who actually said that, yes, um, certain information, uh, you would not get certain information if it's deemed uh, a threat to national security. So basically, who determines that would be the government. And so if the government doesn't want you to get certain information, then that would be restricted. So even though it's there, it's, it's not um, effective. Let's put it that way. Right. And I think that is one of the main problems. The other problem we have and we found from doing our investigations is the severe lack of data. Mm. And I don't Especially know statistics. why that is so. Yes, yeah, simple mm. statistics, simple reports that we should have and that we should have access to as John Public, not as a journalist. It doesn't exist. And when you look at other democracies um, and we look at the UK, for example, because, you know, we are part of the Commonwealth and you look at what they can access online and what they can keep together at starting points, that kind of information is missing. So information that the company's registry should have, for instance, um, information that you could definitely get out of an annual report and that should be there is not there. Um, and then I come back again to the Freedom of Information Act. In Trinidad and Tobago, um, earlier this year, for instance, our Attorney General felt that all FOIA requests should go through his ministry, the Ministry of Legal Affairs, which the journalists and, and media owners here, both associations, we had to fight. And eventually, you know, that the, he backed down, the government backed down on it. But if as a region we call for better implementation of the Freedom of Information Act, then I think we stand a much better chance of succeeding in getting the information. I think in Jamaica, why they have been successful is that their um, Transparency Institute entity, National Integrity Action, which is led by Professor Trevor Monroe, I think he um, is one of the torchbearers in that fight. And, and I think between him and the Press Association of Jamaica and the MAG, Media Association of Jamaica also, they collectively came together to get the ATI to where it is. And when they are being denied requests, all three of them lift up their voices. And some of us in the, the region, external to Jamaica, but in the region, we also say something about it. And this is what I mean, um, Andre, or what I meant when earlier I said we have to stop operating in silos. We are all affected in mm -hmm. this region. Yes. This region needs to operate as one. And if there is more unity and togetherness, and we know that what we are doing is acting in the interest of what I call the highest good, then we will have success. But it has to start with our government entities providing better information and data generally. If it's, if it's all above board, then you would have no question about why it is necessary or why you need to put it out. Transparency and accountability will be a given at the snap of your fingers. The, the other thing is with better freedom of information at and access to information rules and laws, then I should not have to, nor should you, have to fear writing a letter of request for information. We should not have to fear victimization or intimidation. 
we have seen an increase in this region of journalists being labeled and some of them publicly attacked on social media. These are things we need to stand against because we are doing these things in the interest of the public we serve. I think that what, what a lot of people forget, especially the politicians, is that they were voted in, they work for the people. And what media does is we work for the people too. We are a reflection of their ideas, their ideologies, their beliefs, their sentiments. So if you really want to be a democracy, then you have to allow us to do our jobs by doing both of those things, providing better data and be more transparent about it and ensure that our freedom of information legislation allows us to do the investigative reporting that you're clamoring for. Indeed, indeed. How do you, how do you, what would you propose? Because we, we hear from time to time, we, every now and then we hear people complain about, or rather talk about not having the ability to know what's going on in, in Jamaica or in Trinidad or even next door, you know, here in St. Kitts you have Antigua next door, things are happening and people are not aware of it. Um, but they could tell you what's going on in the U.S. and, and the, the impeachment process with uh, President Donald Trump. What do you think then can be done to encourage a more unified effort, not just amongst the media, but also amongst the people of the Caribbean in terms of knowing what's going on and, as you indicated, not working in silos? Because we're all one. Well, I have to tell you that I think the reason why we know so much about the U.S. and, and other territories, and this has happened from time immemorial. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was young, I think it's one of the things that propelled me into journalism was, you know, hearing the stories of Guyana in the 1960s. And I couldn't understand how I never read about this or heard about this. You know, and my father's response was, well, you know, we're, we're down here in the third world. Nobody pays attention to us because we never were able to tell our stories. The 1990 coup happened in Trinidad, and a lot of people don't know that. But Trinidad remains the only country in the Western Hemisphere that had uh, an attempted coup by an Islamic militant group, you know? And I think that it comes back again to the media. The reason why the U.S. has had great influence on us is obviously because of cable. You know, in particular, I think cable television in particular. So I look to entities such as um, UE Television, University of the West Indies has their own TV station to flow, uh -huh. who has, you know, its own station in the region. I looked at those kinds of entities to try to find the answers. I think Caribbean Media Corporation with their um, news website has been trying, but we are the worst people when it comes to advertising ourselves uh -huh. and what we do. Yes. We are the worst. And I think that's one of the one of the issues. There are several other issues. I mean, the other issues is that when you look at production quality um, of the U.S. shows, you know, U.S. programming and so on, it doesn't match up to what we have regionally. So I think that there has to be the development of some kind of a, well, not a fund, but the development of some kind of incentive program for um, advertisers to support content that is done regionally. But, you know, it has to be done in a sensible fashion. It can't be a, a five-minute um, 
story, you know, and you just did it because you got funding. It has to be something that is going to appeal to the population. But I think that insufficient thought, there has been insufficient thought to sit down and really tackle and approach the problem of our Caribbean content. And that's one of the things we need to address. And then how do we present it and how do we publicize it Indeed. as a region? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that is indeed certainly important because um, even just recently we had the elections in Dominica, which um, had, you know, a violent protest and, um, you yeah. know, people, it's as if it didn't happen because, you know, people were so enamored with what was going on in the U.S. and not realizing that our backyard was uh, literally burning. Uh, but we're going to take another break, um, Kiran. I, I want you to stick with us uh, because we want to talk some more about um, some of the initiatives of CIGN going forward and also this whole aspect of journalism in the Caribbean and, and what is needed um, at this point in time. You're listening to Let's Talks in Kisnevis. We're speaking with Kiran Maharaj from the CIJN. That's the Caribbean Investigative Journalist Network. We'll be talking with her some more at the other side of the break. We'll be right back. This is VOC Radio, the voice of the Caribbean. Building can be an exciting time, but also a long, frustrating, and bumpy road. You don't have to travel it alone. Let Nagico take some of your stress away and ensure that your dreams aren't shattered by a disaster before construction is completed. With the Nagico Contractors All-Risk Policy, your building materials and the contractor's equipment is covered from theft, natural disasters, and fire. You will also have protection in the unfortunate event of an accident on site. So, before you get your development on the way, check with your builder and ensure they have contractors all-risk coverage from Nagico. Don't wait. Make your dreams a reality. Nagico Insurances. Fast, fair, and always there. Come to Toxel on the Pondfield Road in Phillipsburg for the finest brands in cell phones and consumer electronics. Get smartphones, Bluetooth speakers, PS4 and Xbox, smart TVs, audio equipment and just about everything in electronics. At Toxel, you get the best prices in St. Martin for smart TVs. The prices are affordable and the quality is superb. So, whenever you come to St. Martin, stop by Toxel on the Pondfield Road in Phillipsburg. Call us at 721-542-1784. Talk Sarah. Quality Diagnostic Laboratory, your newest partner in your healthcare. We offer the latest in on-island clinical laboratory testing. For a comprehensive range of blood tests, urine tests, stool and other testing such as cholesterol and sugar testing, as well as hormone, kidney and liver functions and many more. Quality Diagnostic Laboratory is located at the corner of Kayon Street and Fines Avenue, opposite the Greenlands Pasture. Our opening hours from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday are designed with you in mind. We are also open on Saturdays, 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. for your further convenience. Call or contact us at 465-6657 or email us at info at qualitydiagnosticlab.com. Quality Diagnostic Laboratory. Excellence in performance. 
This Christmas season, shop at Classic Electronics in St. Martin. At Classic Electronics, you get the best in electronics from small appliances to the latest and best in smartphones, audio equipment, household appliances like refrigerators, washing machines, stoves, and the best brands in smart TVs. Classic Electronics also sells jewelry, watches, headphones, Bluetooth speakers, tablets, and so much more. So border the shopping ferry trips from Bastyr's and Kits and make sure to stop at Classic Electronics on Back Street St. Martin. Call 721-523-3889 for the best in quality and prices. Come to Classic Electronics in St. Martin. Feeling hungry and want something quick to eat? Then come to Quick Bites Bar and Restaurant located on College Street, Bastyr. At Quick Bites, we offer the best in hamburgers, fries, chicken, chicken nuggets, fish burgers, hot dogs, bacon dogs, egg sandwiches, salads, and much more. Visit or call us at 465-5308 or call 663-3107 to place your order. Quick Bites on College Street. Comfort your taste buds with a quick bite. SKNFA Premier League Football is back. SK Newsline and Voice of the Caribbean Radio present the Premier League Match of the Week. Live video stream and radio commentary on St. Kitsinevis' premier online media networks. Every Saturday at 8pm, watch live football action at the Warner Park Football Stadium on the SK Newsline Facebook page www.sknewsline.com and at the Facebook page of the St. Kitsinevis Football Association. You can also listen to live radio commentary at www.voiceofthecaribbean.net. It's, it's the Premier League Match of the Week on SK Newsline and Voice of the Caribbean Radio every Saturday at 8 p.m. Don't, Don't miss it. Banners, commercial signs, decal printing, canvas prints, license plates, posters. We at Multigraphics are dedicated to providing quality products and service to our customers. Our team takes pride in the craftsmanship and is passionate about its work. Every job, large or small, is important. Most of our customers come to us through referrals. That's because our number one priority is service. We serve a wide variety of customers, such as restaurants, retail stores, manufacturers, trucking companies, and many more. Our capabilities include design, production, and installation. How can we help? We are located at Bird Rock at the Woods Wright compound. Call us at 869-763-1511 or 784-491-7599. Multigraphics. Simply the best sound in Caribbean radio. This is VOC Radio. This is VOC Radio. The Voice of the Caribbean. Welcome back to Let's Talk St. Kitts and Nevis here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. I'm Andre Huey, your host, and our guest today is Kiran Maharaj. She is the co-founder of CIJN, the Caribbean Investigative Journalist Network. They recently launched in Jamaica, and they've done some good work so far. You can check out their website. It's uh, cijn.org. That's correct, uh, Kiran? Yes, it is. Yes, cijn.org. Check out their website, and uh, there's some great stories there. 
that they've started so far. Uh, let, let's talk a bit more about um, some of the plans for CIJN. Um, obviously, as you indicated, you will be um, doing these stories, working along with media houses in the Caribbean to investigate stories. Say, for example, if there was a particular issue that, let's say we had it here in St. Kitts that we wanted to look deeper in, but for all the reasons you mentioned at the start of the show, uh, we were having challenges getting those stories done. Would a media house then approach you and say, well, look, um, Kiran, you know, we want to work on this story. How best do we approach it? How, what, can support, what kind of support can we get from CIJN to tackle this story? Yeah, so the media house or the journalist can approach us. Um, our email address is cijninfo at gmail.com. And once that request comes in, the editorial um, committee will, you know, will meet with via, via conference call um, with the media house and or journalists. And then we look at what, uh, what support would be needed. Um, and we look at what our funding option is to get the story done. And, and that's how we move forward. So, yes, that's the kind of support that we will lend. Okay. Even in terms of understanding how we put together data, um, the little data that we have, or how we make requests for data, how do we analyze it? That data journalism is a very important aspect of journalism today because inside of the data is how you find the truth. And so we actually have um, our colleagues at Investigative Reporters and Editors, which is a U.S.-based entity, and that's what they specialize in. And they are our partners in doing all of our data analytics and insights and also in training our journalists um, at the different media houses throughout the region. Now, you mentioned earlier, and you just kind of made reference to analyzing the little data that we do have. Uh, how, you know, in this, in this part of the world where we don't have access or even we do get the, the information, it's not much. Uh, how do we then, you know, get the story out for it to be relevant and still have all the basic information that we do need to have in lack of that data? We don't give up getting, we don't give up on getting the data. There may be a lot of external sources. So what um, CIJN did is in some instances where the journalist was not successful in getting data and interviews with some, you know, individuals who we thought it was important to hear from, um, CIJN was able to forward a formal letter of request explaining why we wanted this information or why we were requesting this interview. And the CIJN office then spearheaded um, getting the information, which in, in two cases that to me were very significant, it helped. So we have to persist. The other thing is that we have to advocate for better data. I said that earlier in our conversation. Everybody has to advocate for better data in the region because at the end of the day, the population who is the voting citizen, um, they would want to know, they would want this information. We're all paying taxes in all of our countries throughout the Caribbean region, and we have a right to have access to certain bits of information. So requests for data ha doesn't have to come just from entities like ourselves and our media houses. It has to come from other interest groups, other stakeholders in society is what I deem them, who can say, listen, why is this not being published? You know, why is this not being made available? And we have to work through partnerships and alliances sometimes to get that information. 
Can we get the information? I think we can. Can we get it easily? No, but I think we have to be persistent. And very often that's why investigative um, reports take a bit more time because it's not just getting the data, it's getting the right data and then creating data subsets that will then point to the accuracy and credibility of the story. Now, going back to part of our discussion earlier, we were talking about the, the, you know, what can be done to sort of bridge the gap across the region and get more people aware of what's going on in the Caribbean. Um, the aspect of um, doing stories that, are, that, that will touch the core of, 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 of society and core of people, newsrooms sometimes get bogged down with, you know, chasing the daily stories that are out there, the stories that pertain to politics especially, as that seemed to be a, a big one. Crime is a big is a biggie as well. Um, that, you know, there's mm -hmm. not much that effort has been placed on taking time out to work on stories. As you pointed out, it takes months sometimes to get a story, a, a proper investigative story, an investigative piece. Um, how can newsrooms uh, fashion, even with the technology that's available, to sort of be able to get the opportunity to do these stories? while at the same time not sacrificing the day-to-day -day stories that we have to cover? So I'm one of those people, and people may find this surprising because I'm a, I'm a media manager and owner myself, is that I don't feel we should be cutting back our newsroom staff as much as we've done. I know that it's very challenging for us economically in this region right now. Um, because, you know, digital uh, media has taken a large slice of our advertising revenue. But I think we have to be more specific with the areas we assign to our journalists. And I think it's up to media managers and the heads of news in our newsrooms to find a compromise that allows us to maybe have, you know, special journalists assigned to special beats and ensure that time is dedicated to this kind of reporting because investigative journalism is important. And the thing is, a good investigative story is going to get far. So instead of compromising our content across our traditional news media, what we should be doing is trying to find a comfortable position where we can provide content that we know our audiences will be attracted to. I think that also we have not been using the business model or implementing certain aspects of the business model effectively in that while digital media is taking a lot of the revenue, there are synergies that could be created between what we do in traditional media with how we output content on social media platforms even um, so things like social media shorts, training our journalists more in mobile journalism, all these things are, are, are um, training courses that Media Institute of the Caribbean does. But if we do those kinds of things too, what it starts to do is it starts to, to change the way our journalists think, the way our news producers and editors think. And so you build the capacity within each individual and by extension within the newsroom, to be able to do um, the, the kind of journalism we want, but in a very systematic and efficient way. 
So I think there are a few elements that, that need to be taught out, but can it be done? Yes. And, and as I said, I feel that we need to do a better job as media entities to find the time and make the time for um, not just investigative reporting, but on, for those exclusive stories that we know will go a long way with our audience traction and how impactful they will be. As you talk about social media, because uh, I'm a media manager myself, and um, I use social media quite a lot in what I do, what we do here at Voice of the Caribbean and, and SK Newsline, which is our sister media entity. But one of the things that we tend to, I think, maybe me, as media managers focus on is, as you hinted to earlier, the loss of income to digital media. Um, a lot of businesses yes. these days are advertising on YouTube and Facebook because it's much cheaper and they think it's more effective. So you find that a lot of the advertising dollar that would be spent with the traditional media houses are now being you know, split up with uh, social media and, and other forms of digital media. Um, in, the, in that competitive environment, how do you think media managers can stay relevant and at the same time meet your bottom line without having to sacrifice staff? As you pointed out, you know, it's cutting back on the newsroom. It's, 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 it's unfair to the public. But you see, again, we don't sell our products the best. So at the end of the day, one of the things that I, and I, I spoke about this last week in addressing the, the Trinidad and Tobago publishers and broadcasters, is that we have not trained our salespeople and a lot of our management on how to sell media effectively. In our Caribbean region, radio is still one of the most powerful forms of media and in reaching audiences. And when you look at new research that, and there was some research that came out, I think it was yesterday, that shows that, um, you know, the, the algorithms on ads that were placed by major um, retailers were not great, right? and that a lot of them felt cheated out of their ad spends. Those are the things that we need to highlight as traditional media. Mm -hmm. As so in cheated out of their ad spend from, from digital media, from traditional, <laughs> from the social media stuff. Yes, right. from digital media, from mm -hmm. the social media, for placements on exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. Facebook ads, Google ads, YouTube, you know, they realized they were not getting a great bang for their dollar and not the way that they thought that they would. Mm. I, I would love so, to see that research. That yeah. would be that would be good for me to have. <laughs> so I, I will send it to you after the show. Okay, the thank show. you. But we don't tell our people how to sell effectively. And right now in Trinidad, um, the publishers and broadcasters um, have, you know, have come together again because we're going to launch a massive advertising campaign, right? We tell people to advertise with us, but we don't advertise. I don't know why. Um, that we're going to launch a big ad campaign explaining the benefits of traditional media and how you can use traditional media and digital media effectively. You know, radio is the only support media that works effectively with any other form of media. We could start there because we're on a radio show. Exactly. Right? But, but research from every part of the world has proven that even with digital ads, because radio works on the human premise of voice, right? The echoic retention element that the air long remembers, but the eye soon forgets. When you are on digital, it's imagery or it's words. 
You don't retain that the way you retain a nursery rhyme. If I asked you, Andre, what was the first nursery rhyme you learned? I'm sure you could tell me. Yeah, Humpty Dumpty and many others. <laughs> exactly. Uh -huh. And we remember it. That yes. is the power of radio. Why are we not explaining that to people? If I asked you, what was the first story you read as a child? Would you remember it word by word? No, not at all. No, no. But you'll remember Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Right, right. And, and there's something with audio that, and that is why advertisers, um, when they advertise, especially on radio, that they do it with music because it, there is something about the retention and the brain retaining audio that is not easily retained by any other form of, of media. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I'm not giving up hope. I can't. This is my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. You know, outside, outside of MIC is, is actually radio. And I've worked in all forms of media, and I could tell you that radio will outlast anything. But what we do a poor job at as media in our part of the world is we don't sell it effectively. Yeah, and and of course you know as you and you know the the interesting thing that you pointed out about the 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 online media or advertising on 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 social media, um, I I could use for example I mean the YouTube ads uh, they are coming very plentiful now you're seeing them a lot a lot of companies now in the Caribbean are using YouTube ads and they're quite nice in terms of reaching an audience, but ninety nine percent of the time people skip the ads because they have the option of skipping the ads. And so, you know, an ad that is 30 seconds, a minute long sometimes, doesn't even get uh, 10 seconds because you get five seconds and the option to skip and people just skip it <laughs> normally. So you don't find... And yeah, and, yeah. And mm. that's what happened in this report. Ads was not as high as was expected. Yeah. So again, you know, so ad advertisers, of advertisers are not aware of this. Mm. No, they're not. Yeah. Now, when you look at that and, and the fact that, you know, media houses, I mean, the radio stations are still there, TV stations are still there. Um, they obviously have a lot of work to do. And you, you pointed out something very interesting that media houses, they tell people to advertise, but they themselves don't advertise. Uh, and that is that is a very interesting phenomenon indeed. Um, so we're looking at the business side of things. We're looking at the journalist, the, the journalistic aspect. Um, as we are rounding out our, because we just have a few more minutes to go, um, the course of journalism in the Caribbean, um, where do you see it going? I mean, with CIG and now on stream and, and this, this um, link now created for media houses to be able to tackle stories that previously they probably would have difficulty doing before, where do you see now journalism in the Caribbean heading? And how do you think people, the people in the region, will receive this kind of journalism? I feel very optimistic. I think we have great journalists in our region. Um, I'm just sorry that we don't know each other the way we should, you know, island from island. And I think that entities like the Association of Caribbean Media Workers is very significant and journalists throughout the region should join ECM. But I think that um, the fact that CIJN has been able to be born shows that there is a hunger for news and that we have the people to do it. And what MIC, Media Institute of the Caribbean, hopes to do is to fill the gaps and build capacity regionally so that we can help our journalists. Because at the end of the day, 
you know, we we are the fourth estate. And we are charged with the responsibility of ensuring that our generation and the generations after us can remain, you know, intact and that we can call the Caribbean a happy home. We want to be able to do that. I think what we have to do is really strive to have um, more solidarity in our region. And I hope that our journalists will recognize that and our media houses will recognize that and we will develop better camaraderie regionally because we're affected by very similar things. We have similar heritage and, and culture, so I don't see why we're not tackling some of these problems together the way we should. And I think that our people, the people who we serve, have to recognize that, listen, um, our journalists do a really good job every day. They do the best that they can do, given the little resources we have when we look at other news entities throughout the region. But I think that we have really started on a path to want to continue to improve our journalistic standards and our media industry. Um, we don't have the financial resources and capabilities, not even within, you know, not even within our, our individual media entity budgets. But the fact that, as I said, MIC and CIJN can exist means that we want journalism to continue to shine and grow and fulfill our objective, which is the right of the people to know and the right to provide truth. Indeed. Well, we're going to give you the closing remarks um, as we are out of time. We are virtually out of time and we really want to thank you for taking time out to you know, having this conversation and um, we trust that CIJN will be here for very more, uh, many more years to come and make a great impact in this region. And one of the things I personally want to see as a journalist and as a media worker in the Caribbean, I would love to see, um, as we talked about earlier, that regional network where not only journalists, uh, when we have that through the ACM, but, but the people themselves can become informed of what's going on across the Caribbean, that the efforts of the Caribbean media um, corporation and other regional entities can really have an impact where we can now know what's going on across the, 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 the narrows, across the waters, not only what's going on in the U.S., which is important, but what's going on right here in our very region. Well, I'll give you the final words as we close out. Um, I agree with you 100%, Andre. Um, my hope is that our Caribbean will really come together and that the work that CIGN is doing will create the impact that we want and will help create a better future for all of us in, in this region so that our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will have countries we can be proud of, a region we can be proud of, and we would know that we helped create positive change. Well, thank, thank you for having me on. Thank you very much. Uh, that's Kiran Maharaj, the co-founder of uh, Caribbean Investigative Journalist Network. Thank you so much again, Kiran, for being on the show today. And uh, wish you all the best for the season as well and for the new year when it comes. Thank right. you. Same to you. Okay, then. Bye-bye. This has been Let's Talk St. Kitts Nevis here on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. We want to thank uh, Kiran once again for being on the show and thank you, the listeners, for being uh, so patient and listening to the program today. Remember, you can listen to a rebroadcast of today's program tomorrow at 10 a.m. right here at Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. Also, it will be available later today on demand. If you go to VOC on demand later today, you'll be able to listen to the show in its entirety. I'm Andre Huey. Thank you again for listening and do stay tuned to Voice of the Caribbean Radio, reaching the Caribbean and beyond. Mm -hmm.
Let's talk St. Kitts and Nevis, a talk show and current affairs program focusing on St. Kitts and Nevis, the Caribbean, and international news. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. on Voice of the Caribbean Radio, join host Andre Huey as he delves into topical issues of the day. We'll open the lines so you can call in and be part of the discussion. And he'll feature guests each week to help shed light on the various topics of discussion. Let's talk St. Kitts and Nevis with Andre Huey, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. with rebroadcasts on Wednesdays and Fridays, also at 10 a.m. on Voice of the Caribbean Radio at voiceofthecaribbean.net. Also listen on our Android mobile app and tune in radio. Voice of the Caribbean Radio, reaching the Caribbean and beyond.